This is Ross Coulthard, and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. I'd like to thank Wongo Puzzles for sponsoring this episode. My house is filled with all sorts of jigsaws, shape games and puzzles. Definitely a favourite of the family. A very welcome addition to those has been Wongo Puzzles. If you're looking to try something new and exciting, then pick up a custom-designed, unique, handcrafted puzzle from Wongo Puzzles. It's the perfect balance of good fun and a challenge. Even the folks in Congress who couldn't work VLC Media Player during live UFO hearings would be able to give it a go. They are 100% wooden puzzles. They will last forever. Each piece is hand-drawn, so no two pieces are the same and you'll discover some fun, whimsy pieces as you work through it. They come in a custom wooden box, which is perfect for storage and gifting. Personally, I'm a big fan of the snow globe puzzle. Gives you that all-year-round festive feeling and you'll see what I mean if you pick that one up. What are you waiting for? Go to wongopuzzles.com and pick up your puzzle today and be sure to use the promo code THATUFO to get 10% off your order. This is the most fun you've had with a puzzle guaranteed or your money back. Go to wongopuzzles.com and use the code THATUFO to get 10% off your order and get puzzling right now. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and I am joined today by a guest based in the UK, which I always like to have on. Uh, He is an author who, after his own incredible encounter, decided to reach out to those with similar experiences and detailed over 130 first-hand witness accounts of close encounters with triangular UFOs in the UK, including stories of missing time and men in black. I'd like to welcome to the podcast Colin Saunders. Colin, welcome. Thank you, Andy, and thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. No, very good to have you on, and it's always nice to speak to a guest based in the UK because it means I'm not up recording at silly time o'clock. Um, it's nice to have like a lunchtime recording and have the rest of my day. And as we record this little peek behind the curtain, the UFO hearings are due to take place in the US Congress in a couple of hours' time, so looking forward to getting into that. But just because of when this show is going to go out, we won't be talking about that because it's not happened yet, folks. So if anyone's expecting my opinion or Colin's opinion on those, they've not happened and won't be happening for another few hours. Uh, Colin, a little bit about yourself first. Can you tell the listeners about your own background and your early interest in the UFO subject, if you had any? Uh, yes, thank you, Andy. Um, basically, I had no interest in the UFO subject at all prior to the um, the sighting. Um, the interesting thing is my working career, I'll quickly touch on what I've done in the past. I'm, I basically, I've been a draftsman all of my life. Um, my discipline has been electrical, electromechanical drafting. And notably, I've worked in the aircraft industry. I spent 12 months working in Germany, working on the Airbus, the early Airbuses, the A300, the A310. Uh, we built the fuselage in Hamburg, and I spent, like I say, 12 months working there. Um, I also spent two years working for Saab Aerospace in Sweden, in a, a town called Linköping. Uh, I was based there two years, like I say, working. One year, I worked in the cockpit. The second year, I worked in the um, for the engines and the the wings and the horizontal vertical stabilizers. Again, electrical drafting. Um, fantastic job, fantastic experience. I've done quite um, quite a lot of traveling as well. I worked in New Zealand for 18 months. And uh, more importantly, I worked for Chevron Petroleum for 12 months as well in Aberdeen. Um, it's been quite an exciting working career, I have to say. I've been a contract draftsman, so all of the jobs I were doing were basically 12 months or two years long. Um, you were paid by the hour. And uh, it was a great way to make a living and, and met a lot of interesting people. 
the interesting thing about working in um, Aberdeen, I was based on shore, but I did have a couple of offshore flights. Um, and when you go offshore, they drill it into, you've got to get the work done correctly. Because once you come back on shore, back to the office, if you've missed anything, you can't get on the next helicopter, fly back out again. So you've got to make sure you get the work right. You check it and you check it again. And as soon as you get back, you, you draw it all up. Now, that was sort of invaluable training when it came to the night of the, uh, the UFO, because applying the same sort of um, constraints that when I seen the craft, I trying to take as much information in as possible. And as soon as I got home, I started doing drawings of it along with my daughter. Um, so yeah, the, the whole of my working career, even today, I'm 65, uh, 64, 65 soon, and I'm still drafting. I've been drafting all of my life. So I think that makes me quite a good witness as to what I saw and to the final model that I've produced of the, the craft that we saw that night. So that's a brief history of uh, my, my working career, which would then leads on to the UFO sighting. It does. Colin, do me a favour. Are you able to tilt your camera down very slightly? Yes. Just for the... Yeah, that's brilliant. That'd be brilliant, yeah. Just so I can get kind of more of... A um, little bit up again, just to get more of you in the shot. Just try that. Yeah, perfect. That's the one. Good stuff. And I'll get uh, Dan to cut that bit out for me when he edits the video. So yeah, I've made a note. Thanks, Colin. Uh, you mentioned the the UFO sighting. So if you don't mind, let's take the listeners back to your and your family's day. It was a Wednesday, I believe, the 31st of March, 1999. That's correct, Andy. Yes. We'd, um, it was my mother-in-law's birthday that day, actually. She was 72 years old. Um, we decided to go out for a family meal. My uh, brother-in-law, he bought the house next door to my mother-in-law, or next door to his mother, and uh, he came along as well in his vehicle. So there were two vehicles on the night. Uh, my wife was driving, and we had the daughter with me, and we picked up the mother-in-law from her house. And my brother-in-law came along with the French contingency. He's got a French partner, and her grandparents had come over for the week. So two vehicles. Uh, we went to the White Line in Paleton. Pelton's in Warwickshire. It's a tiny village, middle of nowhere. Um, the next nearest village is Monks Kirby. And then we get on towards Hinkley, where we were living at the time, Hinkley in Leicestershire. But we'd been to the pub, we'd had a bar meal, and then we left. And I remember as we left, we got into my wife's car. My wife was driving. And as we pulled off, I looked round, and my brother-in-law was getting into the Range Rover. But the old lady was struggling a bit because, you know, it's quite a step to get into the Range Rover. So that we left without them and I thought well they'd soon catch us up they wouldn't be far behind us and off we went through the country lanes now we came up to an old Roman road called the Foss Way this is the way back home and it joins up to the Watling Street the A5 at a place called High Cross so for people who are, some people are into ley lines they say that Roman roads were built on ley lines so the Foss Way and the Watling Street are both Roman roads and they intersect just a couple of miles away from where we was about to have the sighting so we'd driven through the countryside and we came up to the Foss Way and somebody actually said, oh, we're turning onto the Foss now. And my daughter jokingly said, oh, there's been talk of headless horsemen down here. We all laughed and joked and said we'd keep our eyes open for him. But as we turned the corner onto the Foss Way, there in front of us, half a mile away, were some lights flashing away by the side of the road. And we were just astounded straight away to say, look, what on earth is that? There's no lights up and down the Foss Way. There's no street lights. There's no... Um, pylons there's, there's nothing down there at all and we're saying well it's too too many lights for a helicopter and too low to be an airplane or anything like that and they just seem to be hovering by the side of the road so we drove towards these lights 
talking excitedly. And then we came next to the lights. We, we parked next to the lights, which would, I would say was 100 feet away. Now, I always say this, at 100 feet, I'm good with dimensions. My um, uh, friend of mine has got a 70-foot canal boat on the Ashby Canal. And I've steered that many times. So when I say 100 feet away, I mean these lights were 100 feet away. You could have hit them with a cricket ball. Unbelievable. So we stopped the car and we were staring at the lights. There was four big red lights at the back and one small light underneath, but there was no craft. There were just lights. And there was a white light mingled in with, with the red lights. And it was just astounding to see, but we had no idea what we were looking at. So the four big red lights at the back were actually tilted at an angle to the earth. They weren't flat, straight, parallel with the earth. They were tilted at about 30 degrees. So I was staring at one of these red lights and it got like a crisscross effect on the surface. It looked like um, a traffic light lens, but it wasn't etched onto the surface. It looked like some sort of, um, I always say Newton's law of ring interference. It was an effect of the light coming out from the back of the craft. We didn't realize there was a craft at that time. And I was staring at this crisscross effect, thinking that's pretty amazing. Whatever that, that light's made up of, it's producing this weird effect. And when I thought that, I started to see the sky ripple around the lights. And I thought, my word, it's not just lights. There's something there. There's something around the lights. And the instant I thought that, the craft decloaked. It was like Star Trek. You know when the Klingon ship just decloaks and it's there in front of you? Yeah. That's what happened around the lights. This metallic craft suddenly materialized in front of our eyes now the craft was that low and the rear end was facing us it was that low that the rear end stayed where it was and the nose floated up in the air but it floated up like a submarine underwater the movement was incredible it was so low that if it had tilted from the middle of the craft i believe the bottom of the craft would have struck the ground so the rear of the craft stayed where it was and the nose floated up in the air in front of us like a, like a horse rearing up in front although because We'd been looking at the rear end. What we were looking at now was the top surface of the craft, which is unusual in itself. Not many people get to see the top of a craft. Most people see the bottom as it's flying overhead. Mm. But for us, the way it uh, floated up in front of us, it gave us a complete view of the top surface. And it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. As an engineer, I just couldn't believe what I was looking at. It looked like it was organic. It looked like it was alive, even though it had been clearly manufactured. The surface of the craft had got liquid running up and down it it looked like um a lake at night with the moon shining on it with a slight ripple on it and the beams catching the 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 waves as they ripple it looked like that going up and down the surface but on top of this liquid were these silver beams that were interlocking they were like girders on the surface interlocking like an old-fashioned maze pattern it was just absolutely incredible to see and um my wife who was very sensible put the hazard flashing lights on and there was a gateway underneath this craft and she decided to pull forward and reverse into the gateway. Now the problem was as she pulled forward, it blocked the view of the craft. And I thought to myself, if it's going to go, it's going to go now. And sure enough, we reversed into the gateway. We jumped out and the craft had gone. We got out of the car and there were no sign of it. There was no smell of any aviation fuel. It was deathly quiet. You could hear a pin drop. And there in the distance was the largest craft I've ever seen going away with four big red lights at the back. Again, the same as the small craft we've seen. And I said, look, there it is, but it's changed. It's grown into this massive thing. And the girls were going, oh, I don't know, that's a long way off. It's probably half a mile away, this big craft, or maybe even further, but it looked huge and it was just going away. So 
that was the end of it. Like I said, there was no smell of any aviation fuel. Um, nobody else was involved. And then cars started to come up and down the road again because there'd been no traffic whatsoever during the course of it. We got into the car and it was 9.50 p.m. We ch checked the time and drove back home. Now, the strange thing was when we got back home, my brother-in-law, who lives next door to me, brother-in-law, he'd got back already in the Range Rover. Not only that, all the French occupants inside were inside the house having a cup of tea. So they'd obviously arrived home a, a while before us, but we never saw them pass and they never saw us as they were trying to catch up with us, which seemed very, very strange. So that were the sort of nuts and bolts of the sighting. Now, there is more to it, which we'll come back to because it gets a, there was a little bit of paranormal high strangeness as, that happened as well for the first 20 years of this experience and generally I only spoke about the nuts and bolts of what took place which is what I've just done now but like I say there is a bit more to it that's paranormal and we'll come around to that because times have changed people are more accepting of this now I never used to speak about it in the past because I thought people would think I was crazy yeah. but um but we'll come we'll come back to that. So what we did Colin, then was let, let, let me just ask you a quick do you mind if I ask you a quick question just so I've got no, it right? Because no, the, the story No, no, that's okay. The story's fascinating. I, I'm just trying to I always like painting a picture in my head of the event and I think I've I've made it out roughly and so in the car there's yourself, your wife and your daughter, yeah? And the mother in law. And and so, your mother in law were all in the car, yeah. Wife was driving, the mother in law was in the passenger seat next to her. I was behind the mother-in-law on the near side and my daughter was next to me on the off side. And, and from a point of view, you mentioned the distance being 100 feet. So we've got listeners all around the world. That's uh, 30 metres. And I even had to look up, just for my own frame of reference, 30 metres is two buses or one and a half 10-pin bowling lanes. So that'll help people kind of create the, the distance. That is not very far at all. So you are you are very, very close to this object. And that obviously helps you get a really good view of the detail you're discussing as well. Is that right? That's right. Yes, it was that. Honestly, it was that close. I could have hit it with a cricket ball. It was just un unbelievable. Especially when it materialised, you know, and, yeah. and, and rose up in front of us. I mean, when they say how big was it in front of you, it completely filled the field of vision. There was nothing else you could see but the whole of the triangle in front of you, right up in close. Do you think the object, the craft, was aware of you? The fact that it materialised at all, rather than stay stay cloaked, stay invisible, stay out of sight? Yes, yes. I, I, I've had a long time to think about this, and I do believe that the craft was waiting for us. And I do believe it wanted us to see it. I mean, it was completely lit up like a Christmas tree. And also, um, I've got a feeling, because it was at this angle, and when I want to say it was like an angle of about 30 degrees to the earth. So it would have had the bottom, although the craft wasn't materialised at the initial sighting, but it would have had the bottom tilted up towards us. So as we're driving towards it, without realising, we were looking at the bottom of the craft as well as the four big red lights at the rear of the craft. Because of the angle, we could see all of the four red lights and, and the other lights and the white, but we couldn't make out what it was. It was just all mixed up together. Now, I think if the craft had been parallel to the earth, then we would not have seen quite so much of the lights underneath. So I believe it intentionally tilted itself up so that it gave us even more to look at as we was approaching it. Now, the strange thing is that when we come to draw pictures of it, there was me and my daughter drew the same and 
My mother-in-law didn't draw it, but she described the same craft. She said it got girders on the surface interlocking. Now, my wife, who was the sensible one of the party, wasn't actually, um, she didn't actually see the craft materialise. She saw the lights as we approached, but once we stopped on the lights, she she was being sensible and looking up and down the road for traffic and decided to put the hazard flashes on and reverse off the road. So she didn't see the craft materialise. So I did ask her to draw what she'd seen, and she drew three red lights in a perfect triangle, a perfect equilateral triangle. And there was no way we could have seen that from the aspect ratio, from where we was looking at that craft. No way could we have seen just three red lights underneath. And I thought that was really odd. So a couple of months later, I asked her to draw it again. And again, she drew exactly the same thing, three red lights in a perfect equilateral triangle. So I, I came up with a theory because I'm, it's, this happened for a reason. And I was trying to figure it all out for the last 24 years now. But I came up with this theory that the small craft was like um, a bait, if you like, for an ambush. And it was there all lit up like a Christmas tea. So we absolutely were focused on that craft as we drove up to the lights. However, my wife may well have seen the large craft that we've seen afterwards when we got out of the car. That would have been passing possibly over the car at the same time as we was looking at the little craft. In the book, there is a picture, I believe, of the uh, the little craft on the ground and the big craft coming over the top of the car. Now, I don't know if that, that took place. I can only guess, but it would make sense that she's seen the underneath of the larger craft as it came over the car and drew three red lights in a perfect equilateral triangle, whereas the other three of us were transfixed on the little one in the field right, right next to us. So part of me believes it, it could have been sort of a, an ambush, in effect, that night. I'd like to thank Blendjet for sponsoring this episode at a time when many of us are certain more than ever top secret technology is being hidden from us by our own governments. One private contractor is leaving the hangar door wide open. The Blendjet 2 is the pinnacle of portable blending technology. Blendjet 2 is portable so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder but powerful enough to blast through ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Blendjet 2 is whisper quiet so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. That's a real benefit for me. Lasts for 15 or more blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. You can choose from over 30 colours including Royal Blue, Glacier and Slate all very stylish. Many of you have already been in touch telling me you picked up a Blendjet too and love it so thank you for supporting the podcast and getting yourself a cool bit of tech. If you haven't yet, what are you waiting for? Go to Blendjet.com and grab yours today and be sure to use the promo code THATUFO12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 portable blender. Go to blendjet.com and use the code THATUFO12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. I know that sounds and- no, no. I mean, all of this is strange, isn't it? That's just the whole subject in general. It's it's hard to see reason and logic and so much of it. And other people report from various sightings, two or three or four or five people can all be looking at the same object, but describe different things. So there is always the chance as well that just because of who she is, her, you know, 
people talk about the frequencies people give off, vibrations, or just what they were meant to see. People see different things and people react differently to it as well. And I wonder, when those craft go, you've mentioned you're then back home and you check the time, what's the immediate conversation like in the car amongst you and the family? We were just, from memory, we were just talking about how amazing it had been and what we'd seen. I can't remember too much about the journey on the way home, but I do remember when we got to the mother-in-law's and I realised that everybody was in the house already from the other vehicle. Rather than get out of the car and go in and talk to them, I just sat in the back of our car feeling really chilled out and not really wanting to get out and talk to anybody at that point. Now, that might be because there was something more to go into that took place on that night, and we'll come back to that. And I, you say this is a strange subject. It's going to get a bit stranger shortly. Uh, nothing too outrageous. We didn't see any aliens, but something did take place. Um, and, yeah, it is funny how different people perceive things differently when they have a close encounter. That's well, got well, something to do with that. people's psyche and, and the sure. spiritual side of this. So, so what did happen next? What's the what's the knock on effect of this experience? Right. So, as soon as I got back, I mean, the next day I expected everybody to know about it. I thought it'd be in the newspapers. I thought everybody would have heard about it. I didn't think we were special, you know, but it wasn't the case. And the next day, funnily enough, is obviously April Fool's Day, the first of April, mm. and I'm trying to tell people because I've just started my own business at home. I was working from home at the time. And I got uh, three members of staff working for me as well. It was getting a bit cosy at home. We just getting to the point where we needed to move out. But it was good that I was at home and I had the experience because I couldn't concentrate on work for a while. And I decided to make models. But I was telling people the next day what had gone on. And um, people would believe in me. But it wasn't in the newspapers. It wasn't on the news. It wasn't on television, which I found surprising because I thought everybody would have seen it that night. So... I started doing research on the internet, obviously, and looking for, for UFOs. The first person I phoned was a friend of mine who years ago had said he'd seen a UFO. Nobody really believed him, but I phoned him up and said, hey, Reese, you never guessed what I saw last night. And he goes, a UFO. He goes, yeah. And he goes, was it triangular? I said, how do you know that? Because I was gobsmacked that it was a triangle. You know, I, If I was going to make this up, I would have said it was a flying saucer. I didn't know anything about UFOs. I wasn't in any UFO circles. And if you'd asked me what a UFO was, I would have said it was a flying saucer. Well, it turned out that Reese's own encounter was with a UFO, a triangular UFO. And that was over the um, Caterpillar Works, near, quite near to where we are now, at Desford. He said it was huge, this um, triangle. It was just sat above the factory. And the little red light had come out from the front of the triangle was going round and round the front of the nose. And then eventually it went back into the nose. Um, so... It, he then gave me the phone number of uh, the UFO magazine and I phoned them and I spoke to a guy called Graham Birdsall. Um, he used to run the UFO magazine years ago and put some fantastic conferences on in Leeds. He gave me the number of Omar Fowler. We became good friends. Omar was uh, the late Omar Fowler. was very much into triangular UFOs. And um, he came around and interviewed myself and my mother-in-law and my, my daughter and my wife. But... Um, more importantly, he gave me a documentary, a magazine, and in there he'd got um, a Belgium sighting from the 90s. 
where in Stockish, a young lad had seen a triangle, a triangle UFO come over his head, and he drew a picture of the underneath, and it got the same lines in relief coming off the surface interlocking, the same as that we saw on the top of our craft. So I thought that must be the same craft or the same series of craft, because we never saw the bottom of the triangle. So I decided to use the Belgium sighting and put it with my sighting of the rear and the top to make the complete craft. So we've got the same sort of symmetrical girders, top and bottom. So what I did then, I, obviously I drew it and I made some paper models, which I used to take to OMA's um, UFO group and do a presentation and talk about the sighting we had. But then I made um, a wooden model. I got some dowling and some plywood and uh, stuck some pictures on that I printed off from cold draw of the triangle and made a, a nice little proper 3D model. The funny thing was that that was stolen from uh, from my van on the driveway. Somebody broke into to the van I'd got for, I was using it for work. And the, um, when I took the van to be repaired to my friend, he'd said it had been professionally broken into the way they'd taken the lock out and then stolen this old cassette player that was worth nothing. Even in them days, it wasn't valuable. Mm. And he couldn't understand why somebody would do that. Now, it wasn't until a week or so later when I was looking for the model that I realised whoever took the cassette player also took that model. I never did see it again. It had gone. Whether it was just coincidence or whether they were looking for the model, I, I don't know. But that led me on to build the next model, the Mark II version. This time, I decided to buy some flashing LED lights and a battery pack to try and make it a bit more authentic. And um, after 20 years, I've still got that model here. And this is it. And I've got, and it's still flashing away. And it's still working. Uh, you can see the beams on the surface here. You see, this is the Belgium sighting of the underneath with the beams that are turning through 90 degrees and interlocking. So that's a copy from the Belgium sighting. We never saw the underneath of this triangle. We only saw the top with the liquid surface and the beams and the rear. But, uh, but no point did any of us see this big switch on the side here. Yeah, that's just for putting the lights on and off. <laughs> I imagine always gets a bit of a laugh um, can I just ask let me ask Colin because I'm interested and this might be a, a, a no a straight up no the the lights on the back was there any pattern to the flashing yes it was crisscross a crisscross effect like um, like I was trying to explain earlier it was if you get a laser pen and shine it and look at the light coming out, you'll see it starts to make little indentation, little waves, and that's what it looked like coming out of the back of the craft. Um, this is a larger version. We'll get onto this one in a in a bit. But on 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 this version, I don't know if you can quite catch it there. You can see there's like back a crystal effect on the lights. Sure. Okay. And, and then that was the effect that we were getting on on the night. Um, we'll get to this craft in a moment because this is my uh, pride and joy, this one, that a friend made for me. So the first model I made, I managed to get onto TV with that, and Central Weekend Live it was called here in the UK and speak to 3 million people live. Um, I did one or two presentations, and then then it sort of all went quiet. I mean, I was doing research on, on the internet, and uh, there's been times over the years where I've tried to forget about the UFO subject, but it just wouldn't, wouldn't go away. It just keeps coming back. Now, the model that I built was really great, and it used to make me shake when I took it out of the briefcase and switched it on with excitement, thinking back on the night. 
but it hadn't got the lines raised off the surface in 3D. And I always wanted to try and achieve that. And then a friend of mine, John Mills, um, he came to see me one day in, out of the balloon and said he'd brought a 3D printer and he wanted to produce a model of my UFO for me with the lines on the surface. So that was brilliant. So we started working on that together. Um, a guy in Canada had done some fantastic um, computer graphics of my model. You'll see those in, in the book. Um, well, graphics of the craft itself. And I showed these to John so he could use those to make the model. Um, so the first model he made was this one. Now, this is like a, an A5 size craft, but you can see it's got the beams raised upon the surface. You can just about make that out, I think, on the on the camera there. Um, there you go. You can see the beams there. And the same with the bottom of the craft. And he put some lights into this. And uh, it was brilliant. And I couldn't believe that he, he managed to do that for me. And I was really pleased with that craft. But the only thing was it, it wasn't the right colours. So what we decided to do then, I said to John, if I, because um, it took, took him quite a bit of time to manufacture this craft, to get all the files together to print it. I said to him, if we start selling some for you on the internet, on, on eBay, for instance, if I sell enough, will you make me a larger model in full colour? And he agreed. So I started advertising these triangles and he started manufacturing a few. On the, the website that he'd been to, there was, a flying saucer and there was also a um a cylinder a uh, a tubular um what do you call them a cigar shaped ufo cigar shape yeah so he decided to manufacture those as well so we ended up selling three ufos on on ebay a triangle a flying saucer and um, a cigar shaped ufo and eventually i sold enough all the profit went to john and once he got enough money together he made me this large model which i just briefly showed you a moment ago now, it did cost quite a lot to manufacture this, not just in terms of the material, but the paint on the surface cost quite a lot of money. So if we're looking at the surface of this craft, you can see that it looks like it's liquid on the surface. Mm -hmm. Hopefully you can catch that. And then you can see the beams on top of these interlocking. And at the rear end, we've got the four red lights, which have even got a uh, bit of a pattern on them, very similar to what we saw that night. And then underneath, we've got the Belgium sighting of three red lights in the corners and one in the in the centre. So I'd for, say on the night... For the listeners, I was going to say for the listeners who are on the audio versions of the podcast and can't see it, um, there'll be some links that you can check out the book and see the, the actual picture. But it reminds me a little bit of the Star Destroyer from Star Wars. If you cut the the front half of it and forget the back, it's just that kind of that width and it's got a chunkiness to it. Um, and like you say, that kind of detail on the top as well. I'd like to thank Cure Hydration for sponsoring this episode. In our fast-paced, frantic daily lives, we can often forget to look after ourselves as well as we should. Simple things like staying hydrated can be forgotten. I know this as well as anyone. Even mild dehydration can cause headaches, muscle weakness and brain fog. Sound familiar? Yeah. But there is a solution cure. Whether you're in a call centre and sat at a desk all day or off to meet your friends at the gym for a workout, staying properly hydrated is key to performing and feeling your best. Cure is the ideal solution to on-the-go hydration. The packets are convenient and easy to use. Just mix with water and drink. They're perfect for on-the-go travel or anything you need a quick and effective hydration boost for. It's made with completely natural ingredients, is vegan and gluten-free and non-GMO, making it a great 
option for anyone with dietary restrictions or preferences. I love the fact it's zero grams of sugar and only 25 calories per sachet as well. So, ready to combat dehydration? Try Cure today and feel the difference for yourself. Use code THATUFO for 20% off your order. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic craft that, uh, that John has built for me. And, and one important thing that which you, your audio people won't see, but the centre of the craft has got a white core running all the way around it. And the top of the craft and the bottom of the craft join onto this centre white core. And the skin of the top and the bottom rolls over like a skin on a hovercraft or like the pastry around the edge of a pie. That's an important detail that I'll come back to very shortly. Um, I, I think that's about it as far as the nuts and bolts are concerned of this uh, sighting. So unless you've got any questions about that, I'll... Just, I'll just the one. The yeah, Colin. <laughs> yeah, just the one. Did, did you get the feeling? Because I've, I've had my own triangular sighting I've discussed on the podcast before. Did you get the feeling that it was something non-human? Or did you get the feeling this is human technology, potentially back-engineered or, or top-secret technology? No, straight away I knew it wasn't um, from this world. You could just tell. The way it manoeuvred, the way it came together, the way it actually looked, everything about it was just so, so strange. And you could tell. You could tell immediately when it, when it started to manoeuvre in front of us. There were three thoughts came into my mind immediately. As the craft nose rose up in the air, the, the first thought was, um, my God, aliens exist. The second one was abductions must take place. And the third one was that this explains mysteries that we've had in history. Those three thoughts came to me straight away when the craft came up in front of us. I've, I've been to a few air shows and I've worked on aircraft. I've never seen anything like this. And just everything about it was so surreal that um, there's no way, not for one moment, did I think it was man-made, to be honest. But it was, it was clearly manufactured. And I'm not sure if you're going to get to this, uh, but when you've mentioned that the you checked the time, you knew it was uh, 9.50pm, I think it was, and you also noticed that people had gotten home before you. Was there missing time of your own from this experience? We don't know. We haven't got a reference point from the time we left the pub, unfortunately. So we're thinking, no. That no, there was no missing time. No. Okay, that's that's fair enough. I wasn't sure, um, but yeah, if you want to carry on, you're going to mention the paranormal side of this. Yes, it's becoming more and more apparent now, isn't it, in, in the mainstream that that people are talking about the paranormal effects of uh, close encounters with UFOs. So, if we go back to that night, the thirty first of March, nineteen ninety nine, at nine fifty p.m., as the craft floated up in front of us. And I got the three thoughts that, my God, aliens exist, etc. All of a sudden, it was like somebody had got a pair of binoculars and put them in front of my eyes. It was like I could see the craft close up. I could see the surface right in front of me. And I could see a couple of the bits of the interlocking beams. But then the next view, and it was like one view after another, was of the nose, of the big round nose. And I was right in front of it looking at it. And I, can, I remember thinking how beautiful it looked. It was like um, ever since spherical, the way it had been manufactured, it was just, I can't describe the beauty of the engineering. And then I saw the side view. Now, to build the model with the white central core, I wouldn't have been able to do that without this extra view because 
I got a close-up of the side near the nose at the top. So I could see the white central core and the top and the bottom were rolled over onto this side, went central core, but there were no nuts and bolts. There were no welding, no seams. I mean, it looked absolutely fantastic. For those who are looking on YouTube, you can see where it was, I was looking at a close view of the nose up here and where the top and the bottom joined this white core. Like I say, there was no nuts and bolts, no welding, no seams. It looked absolutely fantastic. And the next thing I remember is saying, I want to get out like me and the mother-in-law, we wanted to get on board. We were dead excited. And that's when my wife drove forward and we lost view of it. And that was the end of it. So the next day I'm, I'm talking to my wife and my daughter and, and my mother-in-law. And I'm saying, you know, I've had this close viewing. And the only thing I could think was I'd had an out-of-body experience that I got so excited at seeing the craft materialize in front of us that somehow I got out of body and got close to the craft. But, but I didn't really know, but I started researching out-of-body experiences well after that event. But what happened next was the very next day, we started to get like electrical problems at home with the TV, a video recorder, a clock in the kitchen and a kettle and a hard drive on one of the computers all on the same day, which was really quite strange. But then I started personally to have other experiences. I started to see other lights in the sky and see them turning through 90 degrees. Some of them were quite close, but not to see any detail and then i was starting to have other strange paranormal experiences and um what i decided to do was make a note of them and the date and the time every time something happened and keep a list of it and i've done that and i've put the list in the book some of them might be natural occurrences but i don't think so but um one of them for instance i'll tell you this one because this was an important one this one was the only time I've ever been frightened in the whole of this experience. I was fishing down on the River Saw at Rothley in Leicestershire, and uh, I love fishing, and I'm standing in the river. There's a bit of a steep bank going down to the water. So I'm standing in the water, and my waders fishing away, and I'm actually in a fishing competition, but I'm, it's a small club, and I'm in a field on my own. And I hear footsteps coming across the field towards me, four footsteps. Now, I know in the past, because we're on farmland, there's been people shooting down there. So I decided to climb up the riverbank, make myself known because I didn't want them shooting in my direction. Now, when I got up to the top of the riverbank, the noise continued, but I couldn't see anything. There was nothing, but the noise was getting louder and it was coming towards me. And eventually it walked in front of me, probably six foot in front of me from left to right. And I thought it was a big cat. I was really quite frightened. So what I did, I got a spike out of my rod holder that I used for my umbrella. And I decided if it was a cat, I'd go back down the bank, get it to jump on me and impale it on its own weight. That was my game plan. And I stood there petrified. And this thing walked from left to right, but there was nothing there. And there were no grass moving, no twigs moving. And it just sort of faded away as it went past. And, and I stood there and I thought, that wasn't here. That was somewhere else. That wasn't a big cat. Cats don't make noise. We've got big cats in the countryside here in the UK, but they don't. I'm sure they don't make noise like that when they're walking along. It was four heavy footsteps, whatever it was. And then it faded away. And I now realized it was some sort of weird space-time contingency, some sort of dimensional thing. And that was the day, Andy, that I actually decided, because I was having all these things from the UFO, and this is, this is 18 months on from the contact of the UFO, that I'd had nothing prior to the UFO, but all these things afterwards, that meant that the UFO for me was dimensional. It was not extraterrestrial at all because somehow it's come through and it's left some sort of a, done something to me, some sort of an imprint that's allowing these other things to come through.
because I'm a technical guy. I've been a technical guy all my life, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And it would make sense to me that this has got to be dimensional. I had nothing prior to the UFO, but quite a lot of experiences after the UFO, nothing at all before. So it's got to be linked. It's got to be connected. Now, years ago, um, in the early days, I got to see a guy called Bud Hopkins, the late Bud Hopkins. He came over to Leeds at a conference that um, Graham Birdsall had organised with Russell Callahan. I met some fantastic people there. I met um, Dr. Roger Lear, Stanton Freeman, um, Stephen Greer. And I met uh, Bud Hopkins, and I managed to get 30 seconds with Bud. There was a queue of people wanting to talk to him. I told him about the triangle, how it materialised in front of us, and then how it felt like somebody put binoculars in front of my eyes, and I, I thought I'd had an out-of-body experience. And Bud said to me, no, no, he says, you've not had an out-of-body experience. Those are images placed in your mind by the aliens on board the craft. And I thought, that's a bit, bit weird. And just as he said that, this woman burst in with a crystal she'd found in the forest, and she wanted to talk to Bob about it, and she muscled in and pushed me out of the way. And that was the end of my 30 seconds with Bob, unfortunately. I didn't get, he didn't get a chance to expand on that. Um, now, I found that a bit odd, so... I put it in the list of things that were going on and kept a note of it, put it on the back burner. But I was still clinging to the uh, out-of-body experience because I thought it, it gave me a bit of comfort because I started to think that you could live without your soul. You know, your life force continues. Although I'm not a religious person, I was starting to wonder whether there was some sort of life after death because I felt like I'd been out of my body to look at the craft. So... I kept that up for quite some time, and we never know the answers to any of this, really. We're only guessing at what's what's going on. But I gave a presentation with one of the small triangles that um, John had made me, the first 3D printed ones, to a Birmingham UFO group run by uh, Dave Holdren. And I talked about the, um, the close viewing, and Dave said to me, well, I've got a case similar to that. And it was about a couple of guys who'd seen a UFO land in a field that was like miles away but they stood at a gate watching and they seen the occupants come out of the craft. And then they said one of the guy's faces all of a sudden was right in front of them, like it had telepathically come across the field and was telling them to, they shouldn't be there and they've got to go. And I thought, well, that's you know a bit similar to what had happened to me with my close viewing, but not exactly the same. But then as coincidences go, within a couple of weeks, I got an email out of the blue from a guy in America now, I've put his email in the book as well because it's, it's important to me. He started off by saying um, he'd had a close encounter with a triangle and he said, and just like you, I've had three images placed in the mind. Um, so during the close encounter, he went on to say that these three images, there were snapshots of a close-up. One was the pipes running on the outside of the craft. One was of uh, a light source in between the V at the back. And I think... The third one he thought was possibly inside the craft itself. So I read this email and I thought, and I've been listening to a lot of David Jacobs' work, Dr. David Jacobs, on all the abductees that he'd been interviewing over the years. And telepathy was coming up more and more in, in the conversations. And it, it, I'd always thought in my naivety that telepathy was words between two people, but inside your mind. So you'd have a conversation like we're speaking now, but in your mind. But it's not always the case. As David Jacob points out, a lot of abductees are given images and pictures and shown things. And when you think about it, a picture paints a thousand words, doesn't it? So it was like a eureka moment. All of a sudden I thought, 
Yes, Bud Hopkins was right all along. Those images were placed in my mind by the aliens on board the ship. Now, that took some getting on board, I tell you. With that, I thought, how weird's that? I mean, I can't go down my local pub and tell people I've had telepathy with an alien. I think I'm absolutely crazy. I mean, that's a good thing about these podcasts. At least you're talking to the converted, preaching to the converted, if you like. Um, so that also fell into place then, the fact that the other three occupants of the car that night were not having these other paranormal experiences. It was only happening to me. Okay. And that would make sense because on the night it was only me who had the close viewing from the craft. Um, another... There is another reason I can't quite bring it to mind now why, why I say it. I think it was, oh, yes, because I had wondered that if it was an out-of-body experience, why it was like three instantaneous views. There was a close-up of the craft, the beams on the surface, then there was a nose, and then there was a side view. Now, you would think if it was out-of-body, you'd see the nose, and then you'd see the craft roll. You'd see it turn to show me the side view. But it wasn't. It was like three instant images. So it made more sense then that those images would have been placed in the mind rather than me getting out of my own body and getting next to the craft. So that seemed to make more sense then. So that's what I ended up deciding. that I'd, I'd probably had telepathy from either the craft, because some people believe the craft is alive and it did look organic, I have to say. Maybe it's some sort of highly advanced artificial intelligence, I don't know. But either the craft or the occupants on board gave me those images. And the only reason I think they did that was to be able to make the model, to make the exact model. This last model I've got, the coloured one, is, is as close as you're going to get to the real thing. So, but why would they do that? To write the book like I've done now. Now, the book's going quite well. There's a lot of interest in the book because there's a lot of interest in, in UFOs. So for anybody who's to ask, you know, why did this occur then i would say it's it's to write the book and to build the model and to be part of some sort of subtle disclosure now that's something that many people have talked about in the the connection when they have one of these experiences it opens a bit of a doorway and many of those experiences you have talked about i've heard from all kinds of guests including george knapp thomas winterton people involved in skinwalker ranch and others um and it makes me wonder do you think that that happened then for this to come out now and this is something i've asked before to to people who made the documentary about the aerial phenomenon that these events may have happened 20 30 40 years ago but they almost lay dormant in terms of any activity happening or consequence off the back of it and you've brought the book out at a time where we've got hearings on the horizon there's more eyes on the subject than there's ever been before and that like you say it helps towards raising the awareness of the subject and i'm guessing you've had a lot of people since the book was released in december reach out to to almost reaffirm that this has resonated with them that they can they can you know associate they can empathize they sympathize with these experiences because they've also had them too yeah that's right yes um that's a good point um and like you say this thing although it happened 20 years ago initially i wouldn't talk about the paranormal side of of things because it it wasn't really accepted. It's now becoming far more acceptable to the point where I was watching a, a recent UFO program on Blaze just this week, and uh, they were talking there about people having close encounters going on to have other paranormal experiences. And they've even got a name for it. They call it the hitchhiker effect. Yeah. Now, I heard that until this week. 
and I'm thinking, I can't believe that. I've just brought a book out talking about the hitchhiker effect and now they're talking about it on the TV as well. It's becoming far more commonplace and they were talking about, they believe now that they're dimensional rather than extraterrestrial. So what happened when I started writing the book, I'd, I'd done my own um, history about my working career and I talked about the experience with the UFO and, and the model building, but there wasn't enough there to fill, fill a book. So I decided to start putting in other people's sightings. Now, a lot of people have been in touch over the years with their own encounters. So I had to dig those up from old emails and messages on Facebook and get all the information together, but also um, reach out to people because I've got a lot of friends now on Facebook. A lot of people have had UFO encounters. And I was asking specifically for UFO, triangular UFOs in the United Kingdom, obviously, because that's what my main interest lies in triangular UFOs. Now, as the UFO reports were coming in, I was asking people if they'd had any other paranormal experiences, either with UFOs or ghosts or anything before or after or, or anything. And the response was amazing because people are more open now than what they used to be, you know, couple of hundred years ago, you get burnt at the stake for saying these things. Hmm. But there were so many people coming back saying yes. There were more than saying no. So in the end, I decided to put a whole chapter onto UFO encounters where people have had other experiences during the course of their life as well. And it doesn't surprise me the things that people are talking about. That just seems to go hand in hand now, that if you have a UFO experience, you, you know, a close encounter, you're quite likely to have some other paranormal experiences as well. Now, let me ask, as we march on, and we'll get to some listener questions soon, um, there's, like you say, a lot of stories and other testimonies within the book. Some of those mention Men in Black and Missing Time. Is there any particular one you'd like to share that stands out to you? Uh, yeah, there's a couple, actually, um, that I find absolutely fascinating. Um, we'll start with Charles B., if you don't mind. I'll just read what he has to say. Please, yeah. Um, this was an encounter December 2011. Okay. Um, basically, they'd seen a light in the sky and they, they was out chasing it, him and his daughter in the car. Um, and then he says, we both realised it, it maybe was a helicopter, but there were no strobes and no noise. Somewhere between Cleesby and Manfield, we lost sight of it as it got too low. We looked for the object, but decided to give up and turn back home. As we drove back home along the A67, I said, let's look down by the river at Low Connie's Cliff. With hindsight, I think they told me it was there. After driving down the track to the river, it was probably about 300 feet above ground level. It was huge, at least 1,000 feet across. The lights at the apices were dim yellow-orange, and there was a dimmer orange light in the body towards the back. I got out of the car and stood staring at the triangle. There was total silence. I could no longer hear the traffic from the nearby A1M motorway. The body was black and it blocked out the stars, but I could see stars around it and also a nearby farmhouse on a hill south of the river. It also seemed to block out the breeze. I don't know whether I got close, closer to it or it to me, but it seemed right underneath me. I seemed to be right underneath it. I could see black channels etched in the underside of it, which would have made me think they were a docking mechanism. It seemed to be made of a slate or graphite material, very dark grey and a smooth matte texture. I could feel the presence in my whole body and a dental implant was vibrating in my mouth. I could see the channels covered the underside of the craft that were probably six feet across and of a similar depth. I raised my hand and touched part of the craft's body between the channels. I was terrified and even thought it could harm me, but it, I did it anyway. 
I pushed my fingers over it and then put my entire palm on it. It felt like a hard kitchen worktop with a matte finish, but it was not cold. The next thing I remember is my daughter shouting me to come back to the car. She wanted me to get out. And that was the end of that, that particular encounter. So the guy there is talking about a craft that is a thousand feet across, descending so low that he could actually stretch up and touch the underneath of it. I mean, you've got to marvel at the engineering of these guys, whoever they are flying these craft. It's absolutely fantastic to be able to do that without, you know, um, any uh, harm to the, to the person who's underneath the craft. There is another report in the, the back of a book of a guy who's actually, uh, he got that close to, to one that he said he, he put his hand into the liquid surface of the craft. He said it was like putting your hand into a tin of paint. Um, I've got another site in here I'd like to quickly read to, if you don't mind. Yeah, please. Oh, this one interesting as well. Um, this is a, a lady called Lindsay Turner, 1983 in uh, Nottingham here in the UK. Said, um, my friend was three years older than me and we were unemployed at the time. We decided to go and visit Dad's property, a 10 to 15 minutes walk away, and we arrived at 8 till 9pm. The house had a football pitch just beyond the back garden with wild space surrounding it. The weather had been dry all day. When we came to leave late that night, we glanced over to the football pitch for an entrance. We both spotted the mist and the triangular pyramid-shaped craft, so we decided to go and investigate. The pyramid object was the size of a council house and not quite on the ground, but hovering just above the ground by about a foot or two. The pyramid looked to be made of glass and was transparent. I could see swirls of coloured gas inside, yellow, blue, green, in fact like a rainbow. As they approached the pyramid, it backed away from them. But when they backed away, the pyramid returned to its original position. The craft then became solid. In fact, Lindsay described it as metallic with Egyptian hieroglyphs on all sides. One of these hieroglyphs was a man with a bird's head carrying a long spear. They then got nervous and decided to go home. Uh, they think they lost three quarters of an hour on that particular sighting. Um, I found that incredible that the the side of the craft was covered with uh, Egyptian hieroglyphs. So there's a link there between ancient e Egypt and triangular and pyramid-shaped UFOs that appear in today. Uh, Lindsay, Lindsay had also had uh, other experiences when she was a child with ghosts. So that comes under that section of UFO and the, and the paranormal. Are you familiar, Colin, with uh, David Marler and his work on triangular UFOs? Yes, yes, we're friends on Facebook, and uh, I've read his book, and uh, I've, he's got a copy of my book as well. So, yes, I'm quite familiar with his work, yeah. Lovely. He's a very nice guy, and, and he's considered he is, yeah. one of the foremost experts in the world on triangular UFOs. Do you believe people, what they're seeing in Belgium, in the UK, in the US, Canada, Brazil, Mexico, they're all witnessing the same phenomenon, that these craft are, in a way, linked you know whether that's from the same entities the same species or the same program what are your thoughts on what we're seeing worldwide i would always thought that the triangles wherever they occur are going to be known to each other and going to be um piloted by the same same race i don't know we just don't know do we, we don't know if different races have different craft with us the sources have different humanoids to the cigar shape to the triangles but I, I would imagine that all the triangles are known to each other it's a technology that's been made somewhere and they're all sort of sharing that technology so i'm sure they must all come from the same sort of 
base or dimension. Now, I say that because I'm, I've got a, a theory, if you'd like to hear it, about the yeah. sort of manufacturing of this craft. A friend of mine sent me a video um, from a guy on YouTube, Boz somebody, who was doing a, a lecture in a university on quantum levitation. He um, took a piece of metal and put it into liquid nitrogen and froze it down to zero degrees Kelvin, and it became a superconductor. And then he put it in a, le- a magnetic field, and it just sat in this magnetic field without moving a little millimetre or, or anything. But the thing I noticed about it, it, got, it was covered in vapour because it was so cold. So I looked at that, and I came up with an, an, a theory because on the night, when the craft materialised in front of us, when it decloaked, I noticed that the wingtip towards where I was looking at the fourth red light, I could just make out the wingtip, a fluffy white cloud appeared around the wingtip. Now, I realised from building the model that when, when you tilt the nose down, because initially I thought there was a triang- uh, a diamond shape in the sky when the craft materialised, but I instinctively built the triangle with a flat bottom. But if you tilt the nose down slightly on the triangle, you will get the silhouette of a diamond. And the little red light underneath the bottom of the craft, you can see it there for people on YouTube, you can see the silhouette of a diamond. The little red light at the front of the craft comes into view. And my initial drawings are with four red lights at the back and a small red light off to one side. Now, the small red light off to one side was also covered in mist, like a smoky effect. So I came up with this theory because I'd seen the mist on this quantum levitation video, that the liquid that's on the surface of the craft that we saw may well be something like liquid nitrogen. And the beams that we've seen on the top could well go through the skin and be immersed into the liquid underneath. That would then turn all of the beams on the surface into um, superconductors, top and bottom. And that would then give the craft quantum levitation which would allow it to to move around in the magnetic field without any other propulsion system now the reason why I, i think that might be true is because there's a lot of other craft that people see and they report seeing like refrigerator pipes running up and down the surface i've even got a picture in the book from michael schrapp another friend of mine on facebook who's been kind enough to allow me to use his image of a, of a triangle with all these pipes running along underneath. And I'm surmising that those pipes are the same sort of thing as the liquid here, that those pipes are carrying a liquid like nitrogen, something really cold. All those pipes are becoming superconductors and the craft again has got quantum levitation. So I believe a lot of the crafts that you see with the pipes on, they're all using a similar technology to each other to be able to create the lift that's needed and the pitch and the roll. But that's only a theory. I mean, I don't know if that's true or not because um, the guy who touched the bottom of the triangle and the other guy who put his hand into the liquid, if it was liquid nitrogen, it would have frozen his hand off. So I don't know if that theory stands up. It was just an idea that I had. I mean, it, it sort of makes sense. No, I understand. I'll put the link in the description. Just while you were talking, I checked. It's Dr. Boaz Almog. Is the gentleman who has done the experiment on the superconductor. So I'll put the link for the YouTube to that uh, so people can check that one out as well. Um, And just talking about the idea that maybe some of these triangles are potentially uh, of human origin or back engineered technology, how much have you looked into the story of the the mythical TR3B triangular craft? Um, Yeah, the TR3B, I think, originally was created by a guy called Edgar Fouch. 
and it was done as some sort of um, misinformation. I believe personally, having worked in the aircraft industry, for instance, when when you work at Saab, you do um, you build a certain amount of craft. You build from zero to seventy five, and you don't make any major implementations or changes on those craft. These craft are going to go all over the world and need to be serviced. Need to have maintenance teams. Then, if you want to make changes, you'll make it from craft seventy five to one fifty, and you do it in that sort of orderly fashion. You don't change every single craft that comes out. Otherwise, you're going to lose track of what what needs to be um, maintained and, and what spare parts you need. So, in the book, I've got 130 different sightings. Now, no two sightings are exactly the same. As far as I'm concerned, that's 130 different triangular shaped craft of different sizes, different colours, different features about the craft. And I'm only scratching the surface here in the UK. There must be thousands of sightings, and worldwide, there's got to be hundreds of thousands. Of sightings of triangles so to think that these are all coming from like area 51 manufactured by the americans is, is just crazy the logic just doesn't hold hold sense because you you will need maintenance teams to be able to service these craft you will need all the spare parts and if every craft is different you can end up with a logistical nightmare if you look at the like the f117 and the b2 bomber they're all exactly the same they didn't make any major changes all the craft, and they didn't make a lot of them. They only made like a hundred of each, something along those lines. Yet the triangles are coming all shapes and sizes, and they're all over the world, thousands of them. So there's no way that all of these are being made as as uh, TR3Bs. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I have no doubt that the military are trying to create something. And if I've got these ideas about what I think the craft is made from and how it operates, I'm sure the military have got far cleverer minds than mine working on the project whether they'd be able have to you, do it or not, i don't know have Maybe you read materials, the materials that are used are not available on this planet we don't know Potent, yeah potentially uh have you read the secret machines books uh the tom DeLong collaborations i haven't no 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 it just i'm uh, on the audiobook at the minute and it's been painstakingly long i've been listening to it over a kind of period of time but the part of the book i'm at just now and i'd be interested in any listeners thoughts is where uh, it jumps around the, the history of the last kind of 75 years of the UFO topic, but in, you know, kind of, it's, it's a story, but with assumed knowledge as part of it. And basically they're at the point where there's a pilot who has been selected to, to he thinks he's going into a simulator, but it turns out it's a real triangular craft that they've back engineered. And he is essentially flying it with his mind um, and almost joyriding it you know, go here, go here, go here, and they get into trouble for flying all over the place. And it just made me think there when you mentioned that everyone's seeing different craft, you know, the idea that the military would be jumping in one craft and it's just one pilot thinking, I'm going to pop to Paris, I'm going to pop to Belgium, I'm going to pop to South Africa, and they're all seeing the same thing. Like you say, there there must be a number of these craft coming from different sources, whether it's one origin point, but there must be so many different types of craft out there that people are seeing. There is there's some odd-shaped ones as well, isn't it? It's not just limited to cigars and saucers and triangles. You get all sorts of strange craft, even like square blocks and rectangles and all weird man- manners of, of craft. Yeah, it's interesting you should say that um, they fly the craft by using the mind. You hear that a lot from from abductees. Really. That's the only place you can get information from, people who have been abducted who come back. There's been a few of them talk about flying the craft using using the mind. And another thing, like if these craft were secret American TR3B projects, why would you fly them over populated area 
in the UK or Belgium, why would you fly them at rooftop height? You know, you, you just wouldn't do it. The chances of a crash and the, the consequent fallout from that would be tremendous. You, you just wouldn't. You wouldn't entertain it. So, yeah. No, that's always, I think, the most logical argument against it, isn't it? That why would you test it on or around other humans? Because the it just takes one to go wrong and you've got a disaster right, yeah. on your hands. You have, yeah, yeah. One of them could possibly wipe out the whole of London if it were crashed, if it had got some sort of a, a atomic device on board. Who knows? But, yeah, there's no way that I, I believe these are TR3Bs. I'm not saying we're not trying to work on them. And if we have got one, we've probably only got one, maybe maybe a couple. I don't think we've got thousands that are seen all over the world. I mean, in the book, well, that- the, the earliest sighting I have is um, 1956, in, and that's a, a guy who saw a triangle in the book. But doing research of late, I've, I've realised there was one in 1561 in Nuremberg when there was um, a battle in the sky there between different UFOs. It's all been recorded in history. And towards the end of the battle, a large black triangle came upon the scene. And that was 462 years ago. So I don't think that was a TR-3B. No, and I think, again, that's another very reasonable argument against a lot of this technology is when you talk modern times it's very easy to talk about drones or secret government technology but you just have to go back a few decades or more to think in the 50s and 60s they didn't have this sort of craft flying around just it's it just seems so unlikely when you go back that far that they had access to that technology and the tr3b question came from from dalimar over on patreon so thanks for that i just want to ask you a question from peter over on patreon as well colin um have any UK sightings been reported after any sort of CE5 type summoning events? Uh, there are one or two in the book, yeah. Um, there's a guy, Darren Cooper, I don't know if you've heard of him in the UK. Um, heard the name, yeah. Yeah, he, he had a, a close encounter after using um, Stephen Greer's app for a CE5 encounter. Um, and there's a, yeah, there's a second one in there as well. Um, Boner, Chris Boner, I think his name was. They had a, a CE5 um, meeting as well. They, they they managed to call the craft down. Yeah, so there are a couple of instances in the book there where it's occurred. Majority of the time, it's just happened out of the blue. But to answer his question, yes, it, there are a couple of instances of that, yes. Thanks for that. And uh, MJ Jumps had also asked about the TR3B, which we've discussed there. So thank you from the YouTube channel. And a final listener question from Lindsay over on YouTube. Does Colin know of any sightings of triangles formed of multiple lights along each edge, not underneath, that they pulse on and off, red, then off, white, then off, if that makes sense? Yes, there's. I have put quite a few uh, drawings and sketches that people have made into the book. And some of those do have a lot of lights going around the outside of the craft, not just in the centre. That's an interesting point because um, going through the book, I've made some notes on some of these similarities. And as far as lights are concerned, all manner of lights have been talked about, You know, not just red and white, but there's green and blue, yellow, orange, bronze, purple, and pink. And um, yeah, a lot of those are there's lights all over the craft they're not just restricted to three in the corners and one in the center well that that does seem to be the common sort of um layout that you see but yes there are definitely far more layouts of lights than just that also the colors of triangles varies as well i've always thought they were just gray and black but in the book we've got 
talks of um, orange triangles and silver, gold, white, blue, dark brown, and even a green triangle as well. So they, they come in all shapes, sizes, and colours by, by the looks of it. I hope no one can hear any noise in the background from my microphone. It's either some kind of abduction experience or the local council are jet washing the pavements outside where I'm recording. So I'm going to go with the latter. So apologies if anyone does pick that up. I don't think you should have unless you've got some incredibly good earphones. Um, I just want to finish off, Colin, by asking you, when people pick up a copy of the book, so it's Triangular UFOs of the United Kingdom, and it's available on Amazon and it got released in December, what do you want them to take away from it? Um. I, I think with the book, it's a bit of a niche market, really. People who, who have had an experience with a triangle will find it comforting. I'm getting that already. People are contacting me to say that they know they're not alone and they're not crazy. They're not the only one who's seen a triangle and they're not the only one who's possibly had other paranormal experiences because it can be quite shocking for some people to go through this. I know it was for myself, although it's always been a positive experience. It was very very stressful in the early days thinking about what was going on. I remember that, um, how it sort of changed my life and my perspective. And I just wish that when I had my experience, there was a book available like this that I could have read because that would have made me feel a lot better and made me understand about what I'd seen myself. So for anybody out there who's had an experience, I would suggest that you buy the book and have a read and find that, that you're not alone. There are a lot of people who've had experiences and a lot of people have a lot more weird experiences than what you have yourself. So you've got nothing to worry about. I'm, and I'm sure you'll find it a thoroughly enjoyable read as well. And how can folks get in touch with you, Colin, if they want to on social media? Uh, I think I'm on the Facebook. So if you, you message me on Facebook and if you've got a story, I can give you my email address and uh, we can have a chat and uh, hopefully um, sort some more new information out about these triangles. But I do find it fascinating how Colin- it's forward at the moment. I'll just say I did enjoy the book and it's not just a collection of, oh, someone saw a triangular UFO in the sky at various heights. There you go. It's the nuances, the details of the craft around it. Like you say, those paranormal experiences and those kind of all encompassing events that kind of make up a a body of evidence again throughout the book. So it's really good work and and well-researched. So well done. Thank you. Thank you very much. I mean, enjoy the the conversation with you, Andy, and uh, hopefully we'll sell a few of these books and people will get a bit more knowledge about a triangular ufo that is all for this week's show thank you very much for listening please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform you can like retweet and subscribe that would all be very much appreciated the shows are being uploaded onto youtube as we speak more and more you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that ufo podcast to access shows ad free as well please get in touch on twitter facebook instagram that ufo podcast Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue.
I'd like to thank Motley Fool for sponsoring this episode. I've said before on ads that looking after yourself financially gets harder and harder with the cost of everything going up. Being a tight Scotsman, I use every method I can possible to save a little here or make the most of what I have there. Motley Fool is one way that you can definitely look to maximise your income from investments. The age of stock picking is here with towering inflation and elevating interest rates. Sticking your money in a passive market just isn't going to get you what it used to. But it doesn't mean you have to abandon the market. There are still ways to invest for the future. You just need to know where to look, which is where The Motley Fool comes in. The Motley Fool Stock Advisor Service highlights two stocks each and every month for members to add to their portfolios, and it literally is paid to listen to them. Historically, their average stock recommendation is up over 400% as of April 10th, 2023. And listeners of That UFO Podcast can now access Motley Fool Stock Advisor for just $89 for their first year, a full $110 off the list price. What are you waiting for? Visit fool.com slash podcast. That's F-O-O-L dot com slash podcast to start your investing journey today. $110 discount off of $199 per year list price. Membership will renew annually at the then current list price.